leaves are falling and the jack-o'-lanterns are lit. Winter will soon be here, but not before we face our fears, embrace the darkness, and ponder the oddities of the world. Welcome to the Halloween episode of Strange by Nature. I'm your host, Kirk Mona, along with Victoria Thompson and Rachel Ginza. Armed with decades of experience, we are pleased to bring you all that is weird and wonderful about the natural world. Welcome back, everyone, for the spooky Whoa. season oh, known as Halloween. Gosh, I'm so excited. It's Halloween week, oh, finally. I love Halloween. <laughs> We're here. Oh. So good. I'm so excited. It's the most oh. wonderful time of the year. It's the best. I'm so, I love Halloween. My ho- house has been decorated for a solid, like, two months. It's excellent. Uh, so for the Halloween nice. episode, we obviously, as... We love this. We love this season. We love the holiday. We go all out. And while I pride Mm -hmm. myself in finding the spooky and weird throughout the year, this topic quite literally had me stopping in my tracks as I was like looking around, searching for topics and going, I'm sorry, what (laughs) is that? (laughs) So. I am excited. Okay. To no one's surprise. We are going to the ocean. <laughs> of course. Aha. The scariest place on earth, the ocean. Honestly, yeah. I mean, it is pretty spooky. Pretty spooky. Yeah. yeah. It's real deep and real dark. Yep. Cthulhu's down so, there probably, so. Oh, yeah. Well, we talked about that last Halloween. So this particular <laughs> fish Hangs out, generally speaking, it's the most common in the North Atlantic Ocean. However, it can be found in more tropical and subtropical waters in the open ocean, okay. as well as right. deeper in the ocean, in the bathypelagic zone, or the bathyl zone. Ooh. Okay. Uh, so to give you context, that's about 2,297 to 9,006 feet in science. That is 700 to 2,745 meters. Is that also known as the twilight zone? Or is that a different depth? I think that's a different depth. I but think that's a TV you. show from... <laughs> that is. The is I know there, there's... Uh, I've heard people refer to certain depth as like the twilight zone. but There is sure a twilight zone, but not... No, the, that's the midnight zone, that's right. the, which is also spooky and Halloween-y, midnight Oh, zone. yeah, absolutely. So we're below the twilight zone. We're even deeper than we're the twilight zone. We're in the that's midnight zone. Halloween-y right there. Exactly. So... Ooh. Yeah. This, oh, very dark. This fish is relatively small. It It's about six to eight inches. Hasn't gotten... Had the most it's gotten to is not even 10 inches long. It's an elongated, okay, not, uh, not super big, long fish. So picture of like a normal fish in your brain. It has two of the dorsal fins spanning along its body. It's kind of silvery. Mm-hmm. Has a blunt nose. Okay. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it can be. Well, I say silvery without scales. It it doesn't have scales, and it's. Generally, like okay. a brownish black in color, right. so it's not silvery. I take it back. But the thing that makes this fish weird and made me stop is the underside 
of the body. You have that regular fish. Underneath, it has what seems to be a flattened like cavity around where its um, side flippers would be, like its fins. Okay. 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 <laughs> it is its jaw, its lower jaw will goes past the upper, and they're lined with a single row of very sharp teeth. Um, pretty much uh-huh. canines. Now the like very sharp pointy uh, teeth, like very sharp okay. pointy teeth. Now, the thing about this fish... Needle-like, could you say? You could. This fish eats other fish. I've been avoiding saying the name. This fish is called... You sure yes, have. I noticed. The, it is one word... One name is the Chiasmoda niger. Um, is the binomial name, also known as the Black Swallower. And this fish, black swallower. Oh, this fish is capable oh. of swallowing prey over twice its length and ten times its mass. <gasps> oh, what? <gasps> what? <gasps> oh, how? Oh, remember that protrusion I, that I? <laughs> to, to quote Rachel, I, I don't like that. <laughs> you don't like that? Yeah. Yeah. It. This fish is able to call it the Mary open Poppins fish too. its jaw <laughs> enough that protrusion is part of its lower jaw and it will swallow the fish whole. And it's actually been found bet, yeah. that they've swallowed fish so large that decomposition happens before digestion in some of the fish. Oh. oh wow. Oh, that is nasty. And what a freaking oh. nightmare. And this is actually how we know oh. about this fish because when decomp sets in on some of the larger yeah. on those, it causes gases to come up. And so this fish, it's for oh. deeper. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's for deeper, so it comes up to the surface cuz it can't breathe and it it goes up and dies. Bubble up at the top but it dies it, yeah it, oh, man. it does oh, die it's a really good burp well it can't quite do that <sighs> so the release of those gases it gets it up to the ocean surface and it will kill them but that's how we've been able to you know hmm. discover and figure them out um they were <sighs> dis- isn't that awful <laughs> oh yeah the black swallower is part of like deep sea snake tooth fishes. That flat part underneath its body that I was talking about is yeah. a is uh-huh. part of an expanded stomach. Okay. Oh, so uh, that's what I wondered. Yeah, it has a large jaw. Like the lower jaw is able to extend a little bit more, but is able to uh-huh. once that extension happens the stomach will expand in order to accommodate whatever it eats. Wow. It does. It'd be really handy on Thanksgiving or something. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's or if you want to be a competitive eating Oh, contest. there we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Kobayashi just grabs a whole factory and eats it. Oh, man. 
the black swallower eats the prey, whatever fish it's going after, whole. But first, naturally, yeah. What it does is it swims up to its prey and latches on with those really sharp teeth on its tail. No. So it goes head first, gets a good grip, and then moves its jaw like a boa constrictor over the prey until Uh it's fully uh, inside of that fit of its stomach. Okay, so it's not just like a one like wham and it gets whole thing no. like like bite 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 kind of uh-huh. forcing it down. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and God, I was picturing something just like coming like the horror. So the ones you talked about, like the loose jaw that mm. just like swallows mm-hmm. the whole thing. So yeah, no, this is like a bow constrictor. Eat, being eaten slowly, bite by bite, horrifying. down the gullet is also equally terrifying. So yeah, there's a Shel Silverstein poem about that. There is actually, I mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And the stretch of that stomach, because remember, this is a scaleless fish. So it'll stretch so much to accommodate the food that the stomach tissue around it can actually become transparent. So you can see inside of it. (gasps) You can see the animal inside. Uh That's really disturbing. It looks like a regular fish that has like this giant, like flat tumor underneath it and oh it's my gosh. awful <laughs> it's so terrible um rachel this is this your <laughs> halloween costume this, this year not yet <laughs> not this year maybe next year okay <laughs> you got till next year to work that exactly. out. exactly yeah. so i just wanted to talk about the black swallower today a well, happy halloween appropriately <laughs> creepy. thank you yeah anytime yes. Uh, wow. <laughs> my sources. Well done. Thank you. My sources this week were Wikipedia. Uh, all that in all that is interesting. Dot com, Ocean Edu, and or the Smithsonian rather, and the Twilight Zone, uh, Ocean Twilight Zone, which is uh the about, which is from Woods Hole. So, cool oh, time. Okay. Oh, cool, cool thing. Way to go, Woods Hole. Yeah. All right. Next on our spooky Halloween episode, we've got Victoria. All right. Imagine that you are a spider, a spider with a web. I'm staring at a spider you right are. now. Yeah. Perfect. You're very hungry. Maybe it's been a little too long since your last meal. So you're hanging out tonight waiting for a fly to land on your web so that you have some supper. Mm-hmm. And you feel the wind swaying the threads of your web. Maybe there's a little rain shower with raindrops hitting the strands, but you don't move because you're not a fool. You know how to tell the difference between the vibrations of wind or rain and the vibrations of an insect caught on your web? Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. Then finally, just when you're getting... Yeah, I do, because I'm the spider, right? You're the spider. Right, we're the spider. Yes. Gotcha. I'm a spider. I'm the spider. Just when you're getting really hungry, a fly, you can feel it thrashing around, trying to free itself from the sticky embrace of your spider silk. Yay! Dinner at last! Hungry already. Yay! You scurry over to where Door the fly Dash is. has arrived. Yes. 
You get ready to envenomate it and wrap it in silk. But hold. Where is the fly? You don't see one. You're about to turn around when you feel the tiniest vibration of suspicion and bam, you are trapped and something bites you on the leg and suddenly you're paralyzed. Oh oh no. Oh, I hate, I hate getting bit in the leg and then paralyzed. Yes. You realize that you have been caught by a pirate spider. (laughs) That's excellent. Tis the worst way to be caught. So uh, then the, the pirate spider bites you again and you realize you are done for. So yes, pirate spiders are a real thing. And yes, they are called pirate spiders. As they well or sometimes, be. I love it. Yes. Love sometimes it. they're called cannibal spiders, which is a little misleading because while they do feed mostly on other spiders, it's not the ones of the same species. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So pirate spiders do not generally build webs, but instead they will climb onto other spiders' webs at night and mimic the vibrations of an insect or a potential mate. Man, eh, yeah. that is wild. That's rough. Yeah. And then they will sneak up on this, the resident spider of the web and trap them because they have very long front legs. And they ha- the legs have these stiff spine-like hairs that make it difficult uh. for the captured spider to escape. And they will bite the captured spider on the leg, as I mentioned, and then eat it. They are from the family Mimetidae, which has about 200 species found all over the world, mostly in forests. And they're usually uh, yellow or brown, about three to seven millimeters long. Okay. So, you know, not anything special. They look spidery. Yeah. Their most notable feature. <laughs> yeah. Their most Sound notable like feature spiders. is those long... Yeah, those long front legs with the spines that I mentioned before. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So there was a recent discovery about a pirate spider who does things a little differently and even more sneakily. Ooh. I'm intrigued. Yeah. This, one, this one is called Jelanor Sequiris. It's found in Costa Rica. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Never heard of it. Hmm. Um, and to understand how the Lanor Sequiris does its work, you need to know how orb weaving spiders build their webs. So what they do is they let loose a free floating line of silk. And when it sticks to something, they run across the line and secure it down. And then that becomes sort of the anchor point in the basis of the web, web that they build. And when I say an orb weaver, that's kind of your typical spider web that you think of when you think of a spider web, like Charlotte's big web. round ones. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Big round ones. Exactly. Yeah. So what this particular pirate spider does is to set a trap. It lays a bunch of its own lines of silk across an open space and sets them up. And so when an orb weaver sends out a floating line, the floating line sticks to one of the trap lines and the pirate is lying in wait to catch the orb weaver as it comes across to make its web. Oh, it's just already sitting there at the node spot. It's like, come on down. Yeah. And yeah, the scientist, 
the scientists who first observed this behavior a few years ago, they saw uh, the orb weaver when it realized what it what kind of trap it had just walked into, tried to escape by attaching a drag line and dropping down off the trap. Mm-hmm. Sure, but yeah, the pirate smart. Yeah, the pirate spider dropped its own drag line very quickly, and the two spiders hung there next to each other on the ends of their lines, Whoa. fighting like actual pirates in the rigging of a sailing oh, ship. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool. Until the orb weaver was overcome and eaten. Oh, poor oh, orb weaver. It tried yeah. so hard. Oh, so it was like hand to hand spider battle at the end of a rope. Many that's ha- awesome. It's actually hand to hand to hand to hand to hand to hand battle. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I have. I just thought that's awesome. pirate spiders would be a really good Halloween topic because it's pirates and spiders. Yeah. And that's amazing. I my, love that. <laughs> yeah. My source also is a great week. Halloween costume, pirate spider. <gasps> Indeed. I already have a a costume. I'm oh. I might have to do it. <laughs> Don't say we never did anything for you. You were <laughs> yeah. struggling for a Halloween idea. Uh, my sources this week were Science News, uh, the Museums of Cape Town, and some help from Wikipedia. Awesome. We are going to take a little break, and when we come back, it will be Kirk. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strangebynature. See you soon. Well, Halloween is upon us. And I know, you know, last week everyone's thinking, oh my gosh, the thing about bot flies and maggots was so gross. Awful. How nasty and gross and awful is uh, what Kirk talks about this week going to be. Well, I got good news for you. It's not that nasty or gross. It's a Halloween episode in a different kind of way. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was thinking about what makes Halloween special. And like, yes, there's the candy, and it's a bit of a harvest celebration too, but the roots of it go back to the fact that we're living at a time of year where things are dying. Mm -hmm. Leaves are falling off trees. You know, the annual plants are, are literally dying. Uh, many insects are dying. It's a, it's a time of death. And as, as mortal beings, we fear death. Mm-hmm. And Halloween is a time when we can put on scary masks and costumes and go out in the dark. We face our fears. And by facing them, we ultimately become more comfortable with them. So by embracing the idea that things change and that everything has an end and that being mortal uh, is okay and that being scared is okay and... Uh, it's uh, it's kind of part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. It ultimately allows us to be at peace with our own mortality and with our fears. So hopefully, it's also a time of celebration and of coming together, and we get to celebrate that we get to peer, be here on this earth at this same time. And what are the odds that the three of us 
would be alive at the same time as our audience and all be here right now enjoying this time together. I think that's pretty special. And, uh, and thank you for, be, for, for being here as my co-hosts. Uh, and thank you, audience, for being here as well. That's a, it's a time for us to reflect on that sort of thing. And I, I appreciate all of you uh, a whole lot. So, so thank well, you. Well, we appreciate, appreciate you, you too, too, Kirk. Oh, awesome. Well, now that we're all feeling all nice and warm and fuzzy, let's talk about fear. <laughs> so uh, this is a good season for it. Uh, fear is certainly part of the human condition. We are all uh, intimately familiar with fear, uh, either as like a creeping unease or a, a visceral knot in our stomach that can immobilize us with indecision. So being a human and being familiar with fear, do you think you could tell if somebody else was afraid? Like, what would be some clues that you might notice? Uh, um, people's eyes tend to get wider. If yeah. Ooh, wide eyes, yeah. 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 Um, uh, anything else? Depending on how they long. sweat. Yeah, sweaty. Sweaty. They might okay. be breathing really quickly. Or be shaky. Sure, yeah. Or be looking around. Ooh, shaky. Oh, my. Um, um, for, for people with light complexion, sometimes they go pale. Mm-hmm. Ooh, like a loss of blood in the face. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, you've, you've nailed a lot of the big ones there. Things like facial expressions, body language, even the words we use and the way we say them, uh, the pace of our, our voice, the tone of our voice, all of these things help us understand if others are afraid, which is a pretty you know, important uh, thing, skill to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And I have two research studies about fear that I want to share this week, and they're both about communicating fear. So let's start with mice. Have you ever read the facial expression of a mouse that is afraid? Uh, no. No. Not really. <laughs> I was able to tell a mouse was afraid, but to be fair, my cat was hunting them. So I see. I think well, it's more about I, I, body I, language than facial expression. That is fair. Yeah. Um, researchers don't really, I don't think, think that mice can read fear in other mice's faces either. However, that doesn't mean that mice can't tell one other mice are afraid. So it turns out mice have something in their noses called the Gruenberg ganglion. Uh, it's about 500 compact neuron cells that were discovered back in the 1970s. Hmm. But the trouble was, scientists had no idea what it was for. Right. It's located in the nose, and for, it is for sure you know, able to send signals to the same uh, like decoding part of the brain that decodes smells. But it didn't seem like it was able to smell anything. Scientists tested every substance they thought mice might need to detect from milk to urine and <laughs> nothing elicited any kind of reaction from this uh, Gruenberg ganglion. Huh. But researchers in Switzerland think they have finally figured it out. They have shown that the Gruenberg ganglion responds to fear pheromones. Huh. When mice are afraid, they release specific pheromones that can be detected by the Gruenberg ganglion of other mice. And they tested this by exposing mice to these pheromones, and they became fearful and they would hide. And when they removed the Gruenberg ganglion from mice and exposed them to the same pheromones, they didn't have any res response at all. Which to me seems like, well, that seems pretty conclusive. Mm -hmm. It's pretty yeah. wild. That means... Mice can literally smell fear. And I don't know if they can smell your fear, but they can certainly smell each other's fear. Okay. And, you know, there are 
countless stories since, since it's a season of scary stories mm-hmm. there's countless stories where monsters can smell your fear and it's a trope in the horror genre it was sure. actually the central part of the plot of the 2013 film after earth oh uh, i hate that. that there was like monsters that could smell fear now i'm thinking about Turns things smelling though, that, my fear kirk <laughs> mm-hmm, well uh you know, it's turns out that there may actually be something to this. We'll need to get a hold of some monsters uh, and a wide variety of media, see if they have a Gruenberg ganglion mm-hmm. uh, to be able to smell you. But, uh, you know, now we have a place to start that some animals, some creatures can smell fear. Now, I mentioned at the top of the story that there were two pieces of research I wanted to talk about. And the second one is from a study done at Rice University in 2009. A researcher, Denise Chen, had a group of men stick gauze pads in their armpits and then watch scary movies that were known to instill fear. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I, have so I have so many questions. Many questions. <laughs> about this study. <laughs> and the report I read did not say which movies they watched, which, to be clear, was a failure on the part of the reporting on this yeah. research, yeah. because this is critical information. I need to know. How am I to judge the level of fear induced if I don't know the movie they watched? Exactly. Just simply unbelievable right? oversight, but, but we're going to move on. And also what kind it. of horror movie, you know, because there's different levels right. of we're horror talking movie. Slasher. Yeah. Is it a gory yeah. right? movie? Is it a suspense movie? Are things jumping out? Is it supernatural? Are there ghosts? What's going on? Exactly. These, these are important, important questions. Uh, but it, what we do know is that the sweaty gauze, presumably having been infused with the smell of fear, <laughs> was placed under the noses of female students while they looked at images of human faces. I will note they only had <sighs> women smelling men's sweaty armpits. I hate that. I told you, I have some serious questions about this study. However, we're moving yeah. on. Uh, the women who had these this gauze under their nose had to rate faces they were shown as either happy, neutral, or fearful. And the study showed uh, that we certainly do favor visual information on emotions. Having a fear-soaked gauze under their noses did not change their opinion of the happy faces. They were like, nope, that person's happy. That's easy. However, when it came to the ambiguous faces, where it, it, there really wasn't supposed to be a clear answer, the story changes. Participants were more likely to label an ambiguous face as fearful if they were smelling a piece of fear-soaked gauze than if they had a placebo piece of gauze under their nose holes. Okay. Which is pretty nose wild. Holes. So it seems yeah, that there's, if there's a lack of visual information on the emotional state of others, humans perhaps really can smell fear and assume the emotional state of those around them. Okay. And with Halloween around the corner, I can't help but think about humans and fear. I hope this research is repeated and tested and turns out to be true because here's the thing. I've always dreamed of creating a scientifically based haunted house. Okay. Like basically, (laughs) I want to create a haunted house experience that takes everything science teaches us about fear Everything from infrasound to temperature to visuals to pheromones to psychology and just create the most haunted, spooky experience possible. Mm. And if we can make haunted houses scarier with fear, uh, fear I said pheromones, <laughs> pheromones, <laughs> uh, then oh. all the better, I say. Trademark that. Right? There you go. Trademark. Fear-mones. We're going we're gonna to make that. 
Um, and maybe, you know, people who have worked in a haunted house, write to us if you have and tell us what, what does it smell like working in a haunted house? I wonder if, if humans can pick that up and you're with a group of people and ever people, people are scared. Does that increase your sense of fear if you are also smelling that? I don't know. That is something that needs to be researched. There's an Ig Nobel Prize, by the way, in yes, that. Yes, it research. is. Oh, yeah. So someone get on that. Get on that. I gotta know. But I, I do think, you know, um, talking about haunted houses uh, is is pretty interesting. Um, and that's kind of a weird place to end the segment, talk about haunted houses. But Halloween is is almost here. And I think a haunted house is a great example of how by facing our fears, we gain power over them. In those moments of fear, we learn something about ourselves and just perhaps about the armpits of the people nearby. <laughs> I My really sources hope... this week. <laughs> I really hope on. those women were well compensated for their time. They better have been. I'm sure they were college students. You know they did it as part of some like psych 101 class. They were not compensated at all. Yeah. Uh, my sources this week were Science News Explorers and Science Daily. Incidentally, if you want to hear what ideas I have so far for a haunted house based on science and psychology, head over to Patreon where I'm going to post up a conversation we're about to have right now about haunted houses. Uh, that conversation is a perk for our Armadillo Squad and Platypus Squad level members. Thank you for your support of the show. Uh, we'll see you there. And for everyone else, consider becoming a member of the Society of Strange over at patreon.com slash strangebynature and you can hear some of the extra you know, weird stuff we talk about sometimes. Yeah. Thanks for listening, right. everyone. Have a, have a safe happy Halloween, everybody. Spooky Halloween. Spooky Halloween. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.